they welcomed us and they still most of the time enjoy us being here, but there's definitely moments where my mum says, I think my life would be a whole lot more simple if I just had tenants living in these houses. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. Hello, Rose. How are you today? Hi, JJ. Always lovely to hear your voice. I'm good. How are you going? Good. Did I just stop you eating your cereal? Look, you know it's always early in the morning when I talk to you, so don't you want me to be fueled and ready to go for our conversations? Of course. What was on the menu today? Uh, the same as every day. We had some yogurt and we had some muesli and a bit of fruit. Oh, nice and healthy. I like it. Consistency is key. Yes. Now, Rose, I've got a pretty big question to ask you today, and it feeds into our episode theme. I'm nervous. <laughs> you should be. No, 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 not at all. What age did you move out of home? Oh, that's easy. Um, well, it'll get tougher. I guess technically I moved out straight after school. I went to live at a college and then after that I moved into a share house. But there are a few stints that I moved back home maybe for like four months or six months at a time. But technically I sort of left at 18 and didn't really go back. What about you? Wow, that's really early, um, especially by today's standards. Uh, I, I guess it is, yeah. Yeah, I left at 21. So I was uh, halfway through my undergraduate degree and I went on an exchange program overseas for a year and I I guess living out of home for that year I came back and couldn't really get back into the um, the family home so I moved out into share houses similar to you. Yep I was exactly the same I went, also moved overseas at 21 for like a year and a half and then when I came back, I sort of by necessity had to live with my parents for about six months to save up. And then after that, I think I was well and truly gone. And I don't, it's not like I was so desperate to leave home at 18, but it wasn't like I didn't get along with my family. I'm really close with my family, but I just found the idea so exciting of actually being able to live by yourself in the, in the big wild world. Yeah, there's something about the independence of it, isn't it? Like you can have friends over whenever you want, you can cook your own food, you can, you know, make all those decisions yourself, style your home how you want to. I was the same. I was really, I think actually I told my dad at, um, I was 15 and I found out that you could legally move out at 16. So I told my dad, look, just so you know, like I'll probably start looking for a place next year. (laughs) (laughs) And to his credit, he was, he said, oh, okay. Yeah. And shook his head and and smiled and nodded. And I was like, you know, well, you know, it's been nice, but you know, it's probably time we both, you know, moved on, cut the apron strings. But yeah, no, look, I was That is hilarious. (laughs) Did you even have like a part-time job? No. No, I didn't. So you had no income at all. Did you even know that you'd need money to move out of home or did that not really cross your adolescent mind? (laughs) Probably, but I was so excited. I used to be one of those people. I used to love looking at the real estate ads. I was always like circling things for my dad to look at and saying, you should buy this. And um, I think I was just obsessed with the idea of having my own home. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm an only child. Maybe it's an independence thing. But yeah, I look back now and I think, oh God, he must have just been laughing as I was saying that. And, and He just would have thought <laughs> this is another idiotic thing that my child is saying to me. I know. So smile and nod. And I was so serious. I really thought, you know, yep, by next year I'll be ready. I'll be, you know, 
ready to move out on my own with my little, I just imagine, you know, in those cartoons, the, the stick with the um, piece of fabric tied around it, like the, you know, with all the things in it, the bag. Oh, yeah, the little, <laughs> little sack walking yeah. off yeah, into exactly. the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> um, in saying that, though, I do like the idea of intergenerational living. I think I'd probably want a more sort of luxurious version of it, though, um, like Zana, who we're going to speak to later in the show, maybe on like a larger property with a few houses and then you can have a bit of space and the best of both worlds. What do you think? Yeah, I think space is good. And look, I'm very close to both of my parents and I think that would be, I think it'd be nice to live with them. I think there's something, you know, like they took care of you for such a long time and then there's something beautiful about being able to give that back, I think. Yeah, I guess so. It's not really what I was thinking, but yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> Sorry to my parents. No, I was thinking about how they could help me, to be honest. <laughs> Shows my frame of mind. Um, but JJ, let's get into some of our around the world research and facts about intergenerational living. Um, we discovered that in India, women are expected to move in with their husband's parents once they are married. So that's an interesting one. I think you get to move out by yourself for a bit and then as soon as you have landed a husband, you're back with the parents. Wow, that's interesting. But I guess it's not, not very romantic. No. And imagine if you didn't like your in-laws. Yeah, well, I mean, that's often a, a problem, isn't it? I, I mean, I think you've got to be pretty lucky to like your in-laws enough to want to live with them full time. That seems sounds pretty rare to me. Yeah, well, I mean, people don't even want to live with their own parents, let alone someone else's. So, yeah, it would be tough. Now, in Canada, there's been a 40% increase in multi-generational households since 2001. And in America, it's nearly doubled since the 80s. That's interesting. I think when we found this fact, we were sort of wondering about the the makeup of America and how it's shifted from, like, you, obviously a lot of um, Asians have migrated to the US and Canada in the last sort of two or three decades, and we know that certain countries um, have a, a bigger sort of tradition of having the grandparents live at home, look after them. I know that in Chinese cultures, it's very common to have your grandparents living at home and looking after the kids while you work. So I think that could go somewhere to explain those facts. Yeah, definitely. It's much more of a cultural thing and there's so much more respect for those older generations, I think. I think so too. And I think it's interesting that um, even in Europe, it's really split between sort of Southern Europe and sort of Greece, Italy, in those countries, it's much more usual to have a couple of generations under one roof than in Northern Europe. Why Why do you think there's that split? I don't know. That's, yeah. That I isn't... was wondering about the weather. Do you think it's anything to do with it? <laughs> Maybe. It's colder, you know, in Sweden or whatever, so everyone just sort of shuts their doors and it's, it's only the immediate family. Yeah, whereas in the summer, you know, you're dining al fresco, you're kind of going swimming, you're doing all these group activities. Maybe you're in a better mood. Yeah, Nonna's rolling out the pasta. It's a dream. <laughs> yeah, it is a dream. Um, and then the other one that we saw was... In Iceland, they heavily incentivize childbirth to maintain population growth. So young women would have a child with a partner almost as soon as they left school and her parents would be the primary caregivers. So that's interesting. The government wants people to be having children really young and then I guess by necessity you need the parents around to look after them. 
Well, I like that. And I like the idea that they become the primary caregivers while she goes to university. I think that's really good because so so much when people have kids young here, they just don't have any support and they sometimes can't finish school. And we don't really, you know, have a lot of respect for that, I don't think. So I like that idea that, you know, they're really encouraging women to have that support around them and to get their education still. I would let my parents move in with me. I, I like my parents. They're, they're quite nice people. I would probably have to let my parents move in with me if they wanted to because they did look after me for a very long time. I'm from India, so, yeah, we, we usually have our parents move in with us. I would let my parents move in with me. We've actually talked about it before because, you know, I don't have a family, so it makes a bit of sense to have them in with me, I think. On a temporary basis, fine. Permanent basis, no. No. I would not let my parents move in with me. Maybe a lot later in life, once I have my own family and a house, a dog, maybe a granny flat. Maybe they can live in the granny flat. (laughs) Today we are speaking to architectural designer Zana Wright. Zana, her partner Sam and their daughter Lumi live in a home Zana designed on her parents' property in Byron Bay. In total, there are three houses on the property, all filled with family, making it a truly intergenerational affair. Zana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. So you're, we're talking to you in Byron Bay, is that correct? Yes, just outside of Byron Bay in the bush. Sounds lovely. So talk us through your living arrangement because it's a bit unusual, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a little bit unusual in the context of Australia. There's my partner Sam and our little baby Lumi and I living in um one house on the property, then there's my parents who own the property living in the main house, and then there's my two siblings living on the property as well, my brother in another little cottage or converted cow shed, and then my sister in the house with my parents, Um, and we're all adult-aged kids, so we've all gone away and returned home to the nest. (laughs) My parents moved to Byron Bay 12 years ago, and it's such a magnetic place that we've all decided to join them here. (laughs) So did your parents get a choice at all or were you all just like, no, 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 we're coming to live with you? I think that they welcomed us and they still most of the time enjoy us being here, but there's definitely moments where my mum says, I think my life would be a whole lot more simple if I just had tenants living in these houses. So they they kind of got a choice, but we also just sort of landed. (laughs) And how did it all come about? Talk us back to 2013 when you moved onto the property. Yeah, I'd been living in Sydney and I was finding it very expensive. I was um, working for myself and also at a university teaching architecture and having a studio space and a room in a share house. And in total, that was adding up to quite a lot of rent. And I was feeling quite stressed and um, just decided I wanted to move back to Byron Bay where my family had been living for a little while to have a change of scene and yeah to kind of live in a way that was more connected to nature and a slower paced life and my parents being here um yeah really gave me that opportunity initially I found it quite difficult to find work in this area in architecture and so once again like I wasn't earning a great deal of money and it was my my parents gave me the opportunity to be essentially woofing for them which is um woofing refers to willing workers on organic farms and they have got a little organic um small farm up here and so I was essentially just doing weeding for them and um odd jobs on the farm in exchange for me being able to live in the converted cow shed while I found my feet in this area and then I met 
Sam and he moved down from Brisbane into the house further down the track. One thing led to another and we had Lumi who was also born on the property. We had a home birth here (laughs) with all the family listening probably. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. That's like taking it back old school, isn't it? Having like all the family around and doing it at home. It is. It's very old school, I think, (laughs) the way it used to be. It seems very strange these days, but I think it's the way that pretty much everybody probably did it prior to the Industrial Revolution and Second World War. We could be living 100 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And Zana, were you and your family always close growing up or has this sort of facilitated more of a closeness, this living situation? Yeah, it's been really beautiful, actually. It has facilitated more of a closeness because um, where I grew up was a very isolated rural area out on a cattle property in the New England, and my siblings and I were all sent to boarding school, and so we didn't really have a close relationship with our parents, any of us, during those teenage years, and then subsequently all of us moved straight out from the boarding school into share houses in Sydney or Melbourne and studied at university. And so it's only really been for all of us in our further adult lives that we've all returned home and have assumed this whole new relationship with our parents. And it's been really lovely in that respect. Now, I want to know, what do people say when you tell them about your living situation, that you and your siblings and your partner and your daughter are all living on this property with your parents? Funnily enough, it's relatively more common up here than I think it would be in a lot of other parts of Australia because it's a you know regional rural area where there are properties with multiple dwellings on them, and it's, but it's also one of the most expensive parts of Australia, and so it's really difficult for young people to be able to buy their own house or you know um, afford the cost of living up here, and so it's. I have a number of friends who are doing a similar thing who live in this area, but I actually don't have any friends in the city who are who are doing something like this. So I think my city friends all find it quite strange and my local friends all think it's kind of normal. But, yeah, I was just thinking in relation to the question before as well of whether we were close as a family and, I, would, you know, it actually really has taken a lot of... Um, energy on all of our behalves to get to a point where we can do this functionally, live together and be tolerant of one another and non-judgmental of one another's quite disparate lifestyles. I mean, my brother's 24 and he's a DJ and he's quite a party boy and he wants to play music loud late at night. Oh, wow. It kind of booms across the property and then there's us having a baby on the land and, you know, she cries and at different times and my, my dad is retired and so he's often up at 7am doing the lawn mowing or out making noise with power tools and so we're all leading quite different schedules on the property and needing to really be tolerant of that as well as of course all of the other stuff that comes up with families (laughs) triggering one another at times and really it forces you to have to confront issues that can exist within every family because you're coexisting. You can't really get by just sweeping it all under the rug and having a nice civil conversation with them on the phone once a month. (laughs) But how close are you actually? So practically, like how many metres are the dwellings from each other on the property? They're all 
about 100 metres from one another. Okay. So we do really have our own privacy, but it's also close enough to feel like if you walk up the hill, you'll bump into someone from the family. Yeah, it's a nice balance, actually. It's like you've got your own little village. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's definitely a little village. It's quite cute. Are there any plans? Do you have any other siblings that haven't yet moved on to it? No, there's no other siblings. Yeah, at this stage, there's not really anyone else that could come move on unless we open the door for cousins and aunts and uncles and friends and Just keep expanding. I want to come live there. That sounds lovely. It does sound really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever consider yourself to be the sort of person who wanted to eventually like buy a property in the city or did you always know that you sort of you weren't all about that big mortgage sort of life I think I always knew that I didn't want to lead that life of having the big mortgage or even really to live in the city I guess being born in the country I always felt like this was my place but it's yeah there's not many rural areas where the housing is so unaffordable as it is in this area so it's kind of like living in the city in terms of house prices and but yet living in the country. Yeah, definitely. And do you ever wish, like, do, are there ever moments where you think, oh, God, what have we done? We should, you know, let's get our own place and move off here. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely moments like that. Times when I'm around my mum and we're disagreeing over something or she's trying to tell us how we should keep our yard or, you know, that we should be pulling the weeds out. And then I'm looking at the yard thinking, oh, it looks like a really nice meadow to me. But in her eyes, it looks like a, <laughs> it's natural. a weed filled. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's moments where um, I do think, oh, it'd be so much easier just living somewhere else and not having to be confronted with my parents every day. But yeah, as I said, we've really had to kind of work on that. So it must be nice having your parents around now that you do have a child. Yeah, it's really nice. It's also been really lovely having my siblings. And if anything, my sister has been the most present and available with helping out with Lumi. Um, but, yeah, it's been, like, in a, in a practical sense, it's been so great to be able to each day or every few days have someone from my family offer to take us for a walk for a couple of hours so that I can get some things done or if we ever need to go to an appointment or something, there's always someone to call on to just drop her off with them. So that's really great having that support. And my parents aren't at the age yet where they are needing a lot of support, but I imagine if we were still here in 10 or 20 years' time that they probably would really appreciate having their children returning that support. I think so. I think that cycle definitely sort of shifts as um, the older generation well, gets older. And can you talk us through the plan that you have with uh, your parents maybe moving into your place once they want to downsize? Well, this house was originally designed for them and around their needs. It's all on one level and it's quite small. It's only two, it's only got a sleeping space and a living space, which are both separate pavilions. And it was very much them acting as the clients and driving the um, brief and me responding to that, but also having quite a lot of freedom, which was an amazing opportunity. We haven't really looked so far into the future as to where myself and Sam and Lumi would be, but the plan is that we are renting from them, you know, until whenever. And then at the point where they want to move down here, or if one of my parents passed away and it was just one of them left and they really wanted to downsize into this little house, or or if they had um, mobility 
you know, challenges and they really wanted to be in a smaller building, then they would move down and we would definitely find somewhere else. I don't know whether we would move up the hill into their house. You know, maybe we'd have more kids by that point and be needing more bedrooms and they've got the house that's got a few bedrooms. But, um, yeah, that's a possibility that we might just swap. That just sounds so – it sounds like such a nice way of doing it. It's Yeah, it sounds really idyllic and beautiful, really. Um, what are the nights like there? So do you all kind of have big family dinners? Do you all kind of congregate at one house and do a big cook-up or do you kind of stick to your own houses? We probably congregate at least once a week to share a meal. Often it's on a Sunday morning, someone will offer to – we have a bit of a pancake tradition. So someone will offer to cook the pancakes and it'll be at one person's house or the other. It's usually going between our house and my parents' house because my brother in his 24-year-old party stage, his house is generally a bit messy. <laughs> and I think he feels <laughs> like, oh, if I invite everyone – to have the pancakes at my house, I'm going to have to spend half a day cleaning my house. So I might just offer to cook the pancakes in one of your houses. <laughs> I'm getting yeah, a real vibe from the DJ brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we do share meals um, from time to time and we probably could do more so. We were just talking recently about how when one of us is putting effort into cooking, it doesn't take a great deal more effort to create a few extra serves. Sometimes we want to have our own private time. We might not be feeling like hanging out at one another's house. And sometimes it's really nice for someone to be able to say, I've cooked this thing. I've put it in a bowl for you. You can just come and collect it and go back down to your house and eat it, which does happen a bit and especially happened for us after Lumi was born, which was amazing. Now, intergenerational living, it's not something that is, I guess, widely... um done in Australia as it is in other countries. Doing it yourself, what do you think about it? I actually feel like it's a really lovely thing to be able to have an ongoing close relationship with your family and for all of those practical reasons of support sort of prevents that loneliness that can come about through living by oneself, whether it's a mother at home with a child or whether it's an older person, you know, who might have lost their partner um, it's just, it's yeah, it's a really great thing to just have those organic, flowing, easy connections around you all the time and to just feel that connection and company. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I'm imagining that it would A, drive me insane, but B, I think I would really love it. And I think that's sort of what family does. It's sort of both of those things at the same time. It can drive you insane, but I feel like it gets better and better the longer you do it because you do have to confront the things that do drive you insane, all the things that trigger you about your parents or that they, that, you know, that they feel frustrated within you as well. You have to kind of bring it up and work through it to the point where you can coexist in a nice functional way or it's just no fun. Absolutely. It's all about coexistence. Oh, well, I think it's a lovely story, Zana, and we wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much for Thank you. Uh, sharing it with us this morning. Thank you, Zana. Hi, I'm Simon. My wife and I, we're going to live in my parents' house and hopefully raise a child. I lived with my parents until I was 25. I've been with my wife for nearly 10 years. 
we wanted to buy a house, but in the Sydney market, we found we couldn't really get anything that was in the city close to our jobs and also nice. It just wasn't affordable. We realized that we could afford to put a second story on my parents' place and share with them. I have a great relationship with my parents. My wife gets along well with them too. They're really good with boundaries and, you know, when to bring a family together and when to, like, give you your space. So about a year and a half ago, we started the process uh, with architects so that we could take the roof off, basically, add a second story and um, make that uh, a house with as much independence as was practical. Obviously, share the backyard completely. We also share a laundry, which I think is great when you, you're trying to save water and do a full load every time. But in other ways, we have like full separation, like all the bedrooms are quite far apart in terms of how sound will travel. We also set up the television room so it's further away from their bedroom and we're kind of separating the ends of the houses so that there'll be as much sound isolation and privacy as possible. But our meals and the times when we're hanging out together will be maximized. My wife and I, were expecting our first child next year. So uh, a huge part of the appeal was this intergenerational living will be across three generations. And my parents are really enthusiastic about that. And we are too, because I think having your grandparents in your life is like a huge blessing. So we can basically have them part of their day to day. We can say, oh, Wednesday, you know, come in the morning and have an hour there. Or maybe we say, oh, we want to go shopping. Can you look after them then? And from my perspective, I really value my time with my grandparents. And I think uh, many kids would say the same. My dad's 81. So I think we really want to maximize the time that he has and have as many experiences and great memories of their grandfather and hopefully a bit more time with their grandmother who's a whole decade younger. Uh, it's, we just really feel, I guess, a bit of urgency around that. Another side of the coin of uh, my dad being old is that I expect that he'll need more and more care. So it's a massive advantage to be near him. So when we started the plan with the architects, um, we kind of got a bit held up by the way the council had zoned the land. They didn't want to create, I guess, higher density on the street. So the way the, the, the council regulations were set up is that if the house is quite big, then you can add a second dwelling, you can subdivide, but at a certain threshold, uh, it's not allowed. And we were under that threshold. So we were thinking that uh, it was not really in the spirit of the state planning regulation to restrict this opportunity to make that street a little denser. Like when you have a whole huge street full of giant backyards, it, it seems like silly to restrict it to one small family per large block when up the road you might have an enormous apartment with 500 people in it. The council defined a second dwelling as having a kitchen. So you could basically put all these rooms in, a bathroom and everything. But as soon as you put in basically a gas burner, it defined a kitchen and that then creates a second dwelling. So that was the line around which we had to tiptoe. Uh, and we're trying to figure out all the different ways of making a kitchen without a burner. Pretty ridiculous red tape, I think, to restrict that kind of thing. The architects were quite excited to do an intergenerational project because they uh, actually wanted to use their parents as the builders as well. And their parents were pushing intergenerational living as a viable option for them too. So it's become a very family-centric project. My sister, her partner, their family lives up the street 
and with my architect's parents building it and then me living in it and then having a child shortly after, it's all very like family centric, which I think is quite beautiful around the whole project. It's not just bricks and mortar. JJ, it's time for your favourite segment of the week, pop culture homework. It actually is becoming my favourite. How could it not? It's the best idea ever. I love it. I look forward to this every week. (laughs) Do you look forward to seeing my recommendations in there? Yeah, I look forward to reading mine out and then hearing what you think of my recommendations, Um, which is why I'm going to start today. So following on the theme of intergenerational living, how could you be surprised to hear me say the words looking for Alibrandi? No, I'm not surprised at all. Did you see that one coming? I did, actually. Um, (laughs) I saw it on the Google Doc. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Breaking the fourth wall there. (laughs) So the book written by Melina Marchetta was published in 1992 and the film, directed by Kate Woods, an instant classic, was released in 2000. Josephine Alibrandi, played by Pia Miranda, is 17 and in her final year at a wealthy girls' school. This is the year she meets her father, the year she falls in love, the year she searches for Alibrandi and finds the real truth about her family and the identity she's been searching for. What a film. Oh, what a film and a book. I actually read the book first and I loved it and then I think a few years later the film came out. So, yeah, isn't it a classic? It always makes me cry, that bit with the U2 song, oh, God. At the funeral? Oh, John Barton when he dies. Yes. It's, yeah, it's completely traumatic. And, look, the, the haters might point out that does the grandma actually live with them? No, she does. She does live with them. Let's say she does. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's three generations under one roof and it certainly shows you how frustrating it can be to live with, particularly I think when you have three generations of women around all the time, certain sort of tensions can arise. But it is a great film and book. So that is my contribution today. Thank you. That was a very good one. Now, I have one too. This is actually a little bit of a favourite of mine. Um, I'm not going to say it's a guilty pleasure because I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I think it's, you know, whatever you like is what you like. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. So my pick is Practical Magic, directed by Griffin Dunn, and it was released in 1998. So the synopsis is, after death, after the death of their parents, Sally and Gillian Owens, played by Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, move in with their aunts, Jet and Frances. The two sisters have nothing in common except their hereditary gift for practical magic. Now, did you ever watch this film? <laughs> Look, I've definitely watched it on a Friday night on Channel 7, you know, in the early Channel 2000s. Channel 9, Rose, it's, Channel 9. It's <laughs> Channel Nine always. It's um. It's been a while though. Are they actually? Are we talking magic? Magic? Are they yes. witches? Yeah, they're witches. It's great. Oh, okay. They drop that in quite casually at the end. Like they've got nothing in common except they're all witches. I mean, the movie is called Practical Magic. I feel like it. it it's I'm just saying. Giving I think I'm picking up on something here. That's all. Anyway, I love it, and I do. And they live in this beautiful house. There's this beautiful kind of. Uh, I guess it's like a kind of a Cape Cod style home in America. It's just beautiful. It's got all these turrets and it just looks so magical. I loved that film when I was growing up. Okay. Well, that's actually some good homework for me. I'm going to watch that for you. Good. (laughs) All right, JJ. I think we need to go now, but I can't wait to speak to you next week. And thanks for today. Likewise. All right. See you later, Rose. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donoghue and Kate Bartels. 
It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else was brought to you by Domain Insure. Powered by property experts, Domain Insure is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance. Get a quote in under two minutes at domain.com.au slash insurance slash podcast. Domain Insure AFSL 502088 for the insurer Zurich Australian Insurance LTD AFSL 232504.